Good morning, everybody. Let's cultivate our motivation. So lots of times we hear in the teachings, sentient beings want happiness and to avoid suffering equally. But due to their ignorance, they create the causes for suffering. And sometimes it looks like they're running towards creating the causes for suffering. And so we hear that, and we say yes, and we have a few examples in our mind. But we still, at least many of us, hold in the back of our mind, oh, but there's human beings here, and human beings have exceptional intelligence. And so anytime they do something really drastically awful, that's an aberration. Well, if we think in terms of everybody's potential to become fully awakened, yes, the negativities are aberrations. But when we think of what the nature of samsara is, and being born under the control of afflictions and karma, then we see that people creating the causes of suffering is not an aberration, it's just the nature of samsara. And you expect other living beings to be perfect, to expect the world to be as we think it should be, to expect others to keep good ethical conduct. Those are nice dreams, but they aren't based on the reality of all of us being born under the influence of afflictions and karma. So in one way, we have to accept the reality of our samsara and not hold unrealistic expectations. But at the same time, we need to know that everybody has the potential to become fully awakened Buddhas and that there are countless beings who have already completed that path and are here to help us and guide us so that we can do the same. And also when we think of our interdependence with other sentient beings, their kindness is very uh, evident to us. So it's like we have to hold two very different uh, images of what sentient beings are and see they're not completely one, they're not completely the other. So to not freak out when people do harmful things, because we remember that they've been kind to us and that they have the Buddha nature, 
And when we see their kindness and we see them acting ethically and being kindly, to not then say, well, all the other stuff has instantaneously vanished. So we always have hope, we always have optimism, but we're grounded in what is. And so that two-pronged approach is what enables us to generate the bodhicitta because we want to be of great benefit to sentient beings and we know they have the potential for that. And also that they need it, that they're under the influence of afflictions and karma. And to see that we are as well. And so the necessity of purifying our own mind and generating good qualities to be able to fulfill the bodhisattva aspiration. And so for that reason, we're listening to Shantideva's instructions today. So we've been talking, continuing to talk about chapter five on uh, guarding alertness, which really emphasizes the importance of mindfulness, holding in our mind virtuous actions, virtuous objects, or or at least neutral ones, and uh, what they call vigilance or introspective awareness or clear knowing, there's many translations, um, that enables us to check up what is going on with our body, speech, and mind. Okay. So Shantideva's latest advice last session to us was when I am about to act and I see that my mind is tainted with defilement. At such a time... I should just blurt it all out all over everybody else and they have to deal with it. No, that's not what Shantideva says. He says, at such a time, I should remain like a piece of wood. That doesn't mean we shut down and we're like, you know, catatonic or something. It means that, you know, a piece of wood doesn't act. Yeah, so when our mind is overwhelmed with defilement, that's not the time to act. Yeah, it's the time to calm the mind down so we don't uh, stir up, you know, disadvantageous things with other people or create a lot of negative karma ourselves. And then now he gives us a lot of very practical in- 
you know, instructions on how to do it. So the first thing was never should I look around distractedly for no purpose. With a resolute mind, I should always keep my eyes cast downward. So again, that doesn't mean that you hang your head down like this and you don't, you look at your belly button all the time and you're unfriendly. It means that when you're walking and you know that you could uh, harm other living beings, you have your eyes in front of you and that you're not always kind of looking around, you know, window shopping, looking for interesting things to look at or attractive people or something else to distract you. Okay. But we shouldn't become too rigid about that. Okay. Because verse 36 says, in order to relax the gaze, for a short time I should look around. And if someone appears in my field of vision, I should look at them and say, welcome. So we should be friendly people, you know, and not like, I am so mindful. I am not looking at you. I'm not looking at you. I'm just mindful of chewing my raisin. Okay. Yeah, when it's time to chew your raisin, chew your raisin. Very good. Yes, but, you know, we should also be friendly and welcoming to other people and not be like you know, not be exactly like a piece of wood, okay? <laughs> or a piece of wood is, you know, doesn't say hello or anything, okay? So v- verse 37, to check if there is any danger on the path, okay? I should look again in all four directions. To rest, I should turn my head around and then look behind me. Okay, so this is another reason for looking, you know, both where you're going and resting your gaze and looking around at other things to see if there's danger on the path. So if you drive a car, you know this, okay? Yeah, because you have to keep the people in, you know, who are on your blind side, people in your rearview mirror in front of you, driving up on your left, you have to keep the whole scene in mind so you can drive and sit safely. And you have to also be aware of where the stoplights are and the, and the stop signs. And also if you're driving in Seattle, know all the corners where they don't have stop signs. They just have circles in the middle where you could really easily get into an accident. Right? Seattle, former Seattleites, not so safe. And on the residential streets there, yeah. Okay, so you look ahead and behind, yeah. And, uh, you know, you you know where you are in space. And, you know, it's similarly walking around here because, you know, you're not walking on a city uh, sidewalk or a city street where you can assume that everything's level. And like I mentioned last week, if you came from Seattle, uh, you know that the sidewalks are not level and you better watch where you're going. Okay. So, you know, we, we maintain an awareness of where we are in space. And also, I think it's important going up and down stairs. Yeah. 
I cannot, uh, you know, there's a number of times, especially our stairway here, where I've been going around Kuan Yin, and I've gotten run down by people running down on this stairway, and you just come right into the foyer, and people don't look where they're going, you know? You assume that nobody else is, is going around the statue, and yet it's a, it's a place where many people walk, isn't it? So you have to be aware when you come off the stairway, you know, are other people coming from the opposite direction? Or if you're coming from the media room into the foyer, you know, there are people walking down the corridor where the women's room rooms are, and they're coming in to that area, and then you're coming in from the media room, and you get run down there too, okay? So we have to be aware of, of where we're going. It's not just this building. I mean, in public buildings, too, uh, to be aware. And on um, corridors, yeah, to be aware of, of where you're walking in the corridor and, you know, not knocking things off the, that are hung on the walls and knock, knocking into people. And, you know, some corridors are especially narrow. So you have to give way. Imagine that, that you have to step to the side and let somebody else go past you. And on the road, the path here to go, Tom, oh, how many times do you meet somebody coming the other direction? And they should just get out of your way. Doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. They should just get out of your way. Yeah. So I get out of people's way, you know, because I don't want to run down because a lot of people are just intent on getting where they're going. And, uh, you know, doesn't matter who else is in the way there. Okay. So we have to, you know, be aware of where we are in space and who else is around us, yeah? I think, you know, those of you who've worked in offices before, you know that, yeah? And and it's it's something you have to, we have to be considerate of the other beings around us. Okay, so then verse 38, having examined both ahead and behind, I should proceed to either come or go. Yeah. Being aware of the necessity for such mindful alertness, I should behave like this in all situations. So that's really true. You know, if you are in a crowd and you're together with other people, yeah, you have to keep your eyes on, you know, the people that you're together with. Otherwise, you're going to get separated from them. Okay. If you've ever been at an Indian train station with friends, you know, or with coolies, you put your eyes on whoever has your suitcase and you do not take your eyes off that person. Cause the moment you do, they're going one direction with your suitcase and you're standing there going, where am I? Where's my train? Okay. Or if you're wheeling your own suitcase, yeah, who's ever ahead of you, you keep your eyes on that person who's in your group to make sure you get to the train cart altogether. Yeah. Because seriously, if any of you have been in that situation, you know that if you, while you're walking, stop to look around, you will lose the person in front of you. Yeah. 
So it's and in an Indian train station, you do not want to not know where you're going. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And the same when you get on the train. You need to, you know, follow the coolie or follow, you know, who's ever guiding you there when one of your friends is taking you to the train station just to even find your compartment in your seat. Yeah. So I'm sure we have many stories to share about that. Okay. But also, you know, if you're going to His Holiness's teaching somewhere and you're going with other people, you know, again, if it's a big teaching, yeah, I mean, okay, here in, in the States, maybe they give you seats, but if you're going to a public teaching in, in India and you want to sit with people, you got to stick together to get there because, you know, there's no seats. There's an area for you to sit and maybe you'll make it to that area and maybe you won't. <laughs> Yeah, and then once within that area where you're going to sit, yeah, it's up for grabs even if you've put down your dingwa the night before or something else before, the night before people move that, yeah, because they want to sit there. So, um, you know, we have to pay attention to these kinds of things. Okay. And even here, you know, if you go to um, people who go to concerts or people who go to the disco or any kind of, you know, public uh, thing, you know, you go to an art show with a lot of different people, then, you know, you have to be mindful of where you are and where your friends are and what things you've seen and which room you're in and, you know. Just even going to a museum sometimes, yeah. Okay. Okay, so uh, 39. Once having prepared for an action with the thought, my body will remain in such a way, then periodically I should look to see how the body is being maintained. Okay, so the previous ones we're talking a lot about when we're in movement. Okay, so there's different areas to be aware, aware physically when we're standing, moving, sitting, and lying down, those four, okay? So now we're uh, going into probably sitting, okay? So once I've prepared for an action with the thought, my body will remain in such a way, then periodically I should look to see how the body is being maintained. Okay, so we, you know, as monastics, we don't cross our legs at the knee. Yeah, maybe you can cross them at, at the ankle, although in some countries it is rude to cross your legs at your ankle. So you need to learn the customs of different countries if you're traveling and teaching, okay? But we don't cross our legs at the knees. You know, we try and keep our legs down flat on the floor or we cross them at the ankles. Here in the States, you cross them at the ankles. It's okay. Yeah, some countries, it's not okay. Yeah. Where do you sit? Be aware of where you sit, who you're with. Okay. If you're going to visit 
your teacher, you go in and you make three bows and then you sit on the floor unless you're offered a chair, okay? Um, if you're going to visit a Tibetan Lama, you know, you go in with a kata, you go in with an offering, unless it's somebody that you see very regularly, okay? So you, we have to learn the, the right way to behave with, um, with people within the monastic community. And the traditions are different. Uh, they can be different in different tradition, uh, different Buddhist traditions. Although what is all, always the same is that the senior goes first and the junior pays respect to the senior. How you pay respect, when you pay respect, you know, those differ from tradition to tradition. Uh, the Chinese have a tradition that when you arrive at a monastery, maybe you put your things down or whatever, and then the first place you go is into the Buddha hall. You pay, you bow three times to pay respect to the Buddha, and then you say, I bow three times to pay respect to the abbot or abbess, who usually says one bow, and so you make one bow. I tried to have people do that here, but somehow... It, it, you know, doesn't happen so much, but it would be really good when guests come to visit the abbey or when you return, not necessarily from going to town on an errand, but you return from a trip or you're away a few days, you know, you put your things down and then you go into the meditation hall, you bow to the Buddha three times. Okay. If guests are coming, you bring them into the hall, have them show respect. Okay. Take them to meet the teacher. Although sometimes it's just too interrupting. I have, you know, where Sangha Kadra has infinite people walking in, not infinite, but many people walking in and out. So what you do is the next mealtime, you introduce the person. You don't just leave the new person sitting here not knowing who's who or where to sit or or anything like that, yeah. So regardless of whether you're the guest master or you're that person's buddy, you help the, the new people who come. Because remember when you were a new person and you didn't know where to go, where to sit, what to do, okay? So it's all of our responsibility, that kind of thing, okay? But here, you know, if we determine, okay, I'm going to sit down, then we sit down, yeah, and we stay seated. And we try not to, you know, rustle around and get up and down and, you know, just especially in the middle of a teaching, you know. But even in, in regular company, yeah, to, I mean, if you have to go to the bathroom, it's one thing, but not to get up and down and go here and there and, you know, twitch or not twitch, but, you know, keep shifting or everything. Okay. Now, having said that, the other night uh, when we were doing chanting, okay, I was trying to bow. I was, when I was doing it, I was stepping on my robe so I couldn't get up and I couldn't hear the, the bell because the person who was dinging it was going like this. And uh, so I, I had to wait until the person next to me got up because I didn't wear my hearing aids. Because if I wear my hearing aids to chanting, then the wooden fish chases me out of the room. And so I can go on and on and on. But anyway, I was not 
my body was not doing what I wanted it to do, okay? So I was not a very good example a couple of days ago. So I want to make that clear so that other people don't say, well, you know, you God didn't get up when everybody else did, and you got up later, and, you know. And then, then in the middle of the, you know, sitting, you take off your sweater. Well, you know, how about hot flashes, girls, you know? <laughs> so, you know, but you try when you're somewhere, you know, you, you put your body and you stay there and you try and be, you know, uh, respectful of other people, okay? And you check up from time to time. You know, how am I sitting? Uh, am I sitting slouched in my chair? Yeah. So there you are, you know. Especially you're meditating. Yeah. Then, well, you don't lean back so, so much because otherwise you knock the person behind you. But you're leaning forward. Yeah, you think I don't see? <laughs> I stand out there and watch sometimes. People are like, <laughs> Okay. So, you know, we should check when we're sitting, you know, what what is my posture? Is my body sitting the way it should, yeah? Or am I twisting around? Am I, you know? Uh, yeah, there's some people, you know, they, they're not the this group. They're the, you know, I stand out there, you know, especially on SDDs when I'm waiting to come in and you're meditating. And some people are like this, and some people, they even make eye contact with me, like, what are you doing here? <laughs> You know, no awareness of why do I have my eyes open during meditation. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, to, to remain mindful of, of uh, you know, how you want your body to be and then being that way. Okay. Okay, so periodically check to see how your body is being maintained. Yeah. If you're walking, you know, you can swing your arms like this, but not, you know, unless you're exercising, you know, you're not wildly, you know, not bumping into people or hitting people or whatever. Okay. Then verse 40, with the utmost effort, I should check to see that the crazed elephant of my mind is not wandering off, but is bound to the great pillar of thinking about Dharma. So that's really the thing, you know. Whatever we're doing to, you know, be aware of what our mind is thinking about. Yeah? Are we thinking about something dharmic? Yeah? Even walking from one building to the next. I mean, I think everybody knows how easy it is when you're driving uh, people who are going to work. You drive from home to work. Yeah? What are you thinking about the whole time? Yeah, it's a really interesting exercise. When you arrive at work, say, what did I think about that whole time? 
Some people are on the road for an hour commuting or even a half an hour. No idea what their mind, what was going through their mind. Yeah. And the same just walking one place to the other. So there's times when you just have to relax your mind, you know, and, and uh, you know, but even within relaxing your mind, you you make sure that you're not uh, thinking about something that is just nourishing the afflictions. Because yeah, it's so easy uh, when we leave one situation and go to the next to then either, oh, what do the people think about me there? Did I say the right thing? Did I say the wrong thing? This is one reason why we keep silence during you know, courses, and why we try not to talk excessively. Because uh, when we talk a lot, then, you know, as soon as we leave, we're revisiting the conversation. And what did they say to me? What did they mean by that? Yeah. Oh, and then I replied this way. Are they going to like me for what I said? Oh, maybe they're not going to like me. Well, nobody in this whole place likes me. You know, and there you are off and running. Okay. So, um, you know, it's very important, really, for our own sanity and our own <laughs> safety to be aware of what's going on in our mind and not just let the mind go all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. This is, is one of the fat, what, how people get fascinated with conspiracy theories. Yeah, you hear one little thing, especially with QAnon, where you are left to your own devices to develop one theory or another, and then you contribute to it. You you write it, apparently, you know, and then, yeah. So uh, then, you know, you could be going off. You read one thing on QAnon, or you heard one thing, you know, on some tweet, and and then your mind is off and running about extrapolating on what's the meaning of this and how could people do that and this and ho and ha hmm and your mind just goes crazy with it all. Okay. So very important, you know, not just for our own sanity and happiness now, but to protect the mind from creating so much negativity. Yeah. So whenever you come across things like that and if you notice your mind is thinking about that, you know, instantly, you know, think, think about, well, this is the nature of samsara, or have compassion for those beings. Yeah, replace your, your anger or your uh, distrust or whatever with some kind of dharma thought. Okay, so to prevent the crazed elephant of our mind from wandering all around. A crazed elephant. Elephants are big. When elephants are mad, they trample everything. You got to get out of the way really fast because not only do they trample the crops, but they'll trample people and, you know, as well. I mean, they're really big if you've ever stood next to an elephant yeah and uh so our our mind our afflicted mind can be crazy like that yeah i mean i just i'll give you one example i just read one thing today okay so 
in South Carolina, apparently there's some military base. So some trainee on the military base, uh, there was a school bus going on around with, I don't know how many kids, 12 or 18 kids, something like that. And the, the guy from the military bus with a rifle boarded the school bus. Yeah. And said to the driver, I don't want to hurt you or the kids, but I want you to drive me to the next town. He was hijacking the school bus. Can you imagine what that was like for, for the kids or for the bus driver? Yeah. Apparently, he brought the kids up front, and the kids started asking, are you going to hurt us? Are you going to hurt the bus driver? So the guy got a little bit agitated, so eventually the bus driver uh, stopped at the side of the road. He took all the kids off, and he got off, and the hijacker drove the bus a little bit on, and then the bell rang to come to class, so I don't know what happened after that. <sighs> but, <laughs> yeah. But this is what happens when you, the mind becomes a cr like a crazed elephant. I mean, the guy's not thinking clearly. So, you know, I mean, I'm sure he got arrested for that. And his whole life will be completely different now because of doing that. Yeah, so the crazed elephant of the mind, I mean, it could change the whole direction of your life. Because it, it can lead us to do one really stupid thing, you know. And those kids, you know, I hope they're okay and I hope they get some counseling and a lot of love because it would sure be scary for them. Yeah. <laughs> How many of you rode school bus buses on the way to school? Yeah. So... Okay, then 41. Those who strive by all means for concentration should not wander off even for a moment. By thinking, how is my mind behaving? They should closely analyze their mind. So this is showing the link between developing mindfulness and introspective awareness of your body and of your mind, especially, uh, you know, of your body in terms of uh, ethical conduct, of your mind in terms of developing concentration. Okay, so when you sit down to meditate, if you're doing, uh, you know, concentration-style meditation, then you want to keep your mind on one object and, and always check, are you on that object? Are you falling into laxity or into restlessness? Okay, but if you're doing uh, analytic meditation on the long rim, then you're you're actively thinking, so your mind could be changing objects. But you need to make sure that you're staying on the topic that you set out to meditate on, that you're not kind of going all over the the board. Okay, so by thinking, how is my mind behaving? They should closely analyze their mind. And before you go to sleep, you know, also very good to make sure your mind is thinking about something virtuous because that will really affect your dreams. You know, if you watch the news right before you go to sleep or if you're, you know, reading a sci, I mean, nobody here does this, I hope, read sci-fi books, 
you know, or, or stuff like that right before you go to sleep, then that's going to influence uh, how you sleep. Yeah. And then you often wake up thinking about what you were thinking about when you fell asleep. So it can affect your mood the next day too. Then verse 42, however, if I am unable to do this, when afraid or involved in celebrations, then I should relax. Likewise, it has been taught that at times of giving, one may be neutral to certain aspects of moral discipline. Okay, there's a footnote here. What is it? Oh, it's just the the sutra quote from that. Okay, so, um, yeah, if we're in certain circumstances where we really can't maintain a lot of very close mindfulness, maybe, you know, there's a lot of people talking around us or people asking us questions or we're in a big crowd or we're afraid something is happening, you know, there's a spider in your room and, you're freaking out even though it's this big, um, you know, then, uh, you know, in those situations, he's saying, you know, you relax your mind a little bit. That doesn't mean that you let your mind go everywhere it wants to. Yeah, it means if if you're afraid, you pay attention to what's going on and you figure out a way to solve the situation. It doesn't mean that you just... Uh, well, I can't keep mindfulness, so now I'm just going to go to my old habit and get hysterical or get angry and aggressive or whatever. You know, it doesn't mean that, okay? Or involved in celebrations. So sometimes you're in a celebration kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, maybe you... It depends what the celebration is. If you're in a celebration with lay people, I think you have to be really careful where your mind's going. Yeah. In a Dharma celebration, you know, maybe everybody's sitting down, you're chanting together, so you can, you know, yeah, relax it a little bit there. In other words, what he's saying here is don't be so uptight that everywhere you're going, you're so rigid, you know, about watching your mind that you're unfriendly and not engaging with other people. Okay. This is the way I was when I first, uh, I took, uh, the eight precepts before I went back, uh, from Nepal to the States to see my parents. And when I was at my parents' house, oh, I was so stiff. You know, it's like, because I don't want to break my precepts and, okay, I'll sit down at the dinner table with you, but I'm not eating anything. And they're talking about this and that. Well, that's idle talk. I'm not talking with them. So I don't want to create idle talk. I mean, it's so stiff. Yeah, so it means don't do like that. On the other hand, don't go back to the way you were when you were a lay person. Ah, yeah, listen to this story, I'll tell you. It's such a great story. Waving your hands all around, you know. Similarly, when we greet people, 
Yeah, we should greet them like this. Yeah, if you're greeting your family, maybe you lightly touch them or something like that. We shouldn't go, ah, hello, I haven't seen you in so long, and scream and wave our hands around, throw our arms around the other person when everybody's looking and... Okay, especially as monastics, okay? Even as lay people, it's just, you know, yes, you're very happy to see somebody, but you can show that happiness and be calm at the same time without just going crazy. Because I've seen people act like that. It just, it doesn't look good, you know? It just doesn't look good. Okay. Okay. And 43, I should undertake whatever deed I have intended to do and think of doing nothing other than it. With my mind applied to that task, I should set about for the time being to accomplish it. Okay? So during the day, we probably have different things that we need to do. So what this is saying is, you know, establish in your mind what you're doing when, and then when you start something, don't let yourself get interrupted in the middle of it, okay? This, I find, is one of the disadvantages of having your email open all the time, or for people who have text messaging, to have your phone on you, on your, all the time, because you're always getting some email, some text message, or a phone call. And whatever you start out to do is getting constantly interrupted by somebody saying, hello, uh, you know, how long until you get here? Five minutes. And then they call back in another five minutes. How long until you get there? Yeah. This is what it's like in Singapore. When we drive, you know, there's at least five phone calls. When we start, you know, three phone calls in the middle and one phone call as we're driving up. Yeah. Yeah, it used to be phone calls. Yeah, and text messages now too, okay? So five within one going from here to there, okay? So it's really not necessary. <laughs> yeah. So... We should be um, considerate of how many emails we send to people and not just, you know, I mean, write when we need to, but not write when we don't need to, okay? And, um, you know, when we're doing something, sometimes just turn off your email or your text messaging for people who have that and do your work, you know? And the people at the other side, they will, they will live, you know, unless you have an appointment and, you know, you've forgotten your appointment and they're, you know, reminding you to, to, to come for that. But otherwise, uh, you know, we, it's hard enough focusing our mind and staying on task when we now have all these new technologies that shorten our attention span such that you start doing something and you're instantly looking for something to distract you. <clears throat> Have you noticed that? You know, you, you start down and it's like, okay, I'm going to work on this. 
and you sit down to do it. Now, oh, I better check the email first before I do that. Or I better get up and, you know, uh, close the door. Or I better check if, if, if I turned off the stove. Or I, you know, or I better, and yeah, so we're always seeking. It's so interesting to watch the mind as if something other than what we're doing at the moment is going to be more interesting. Even though it may be, you know, uh, closing the door, petting the cat, um, you know, putting your pen where it belongs, who knows what it is, yeah. So what, what he's saying here is to, when we sit down to do something, do it, yeah. And nowadays we need to make deliberate effort not to let devices distract us yeah and so you know for here we don't have our own phones but people out there you know i i notice people meet their friends and then everybody takes out their phone and puts it on the table and then you check you know you've made an appointment to be with your friends but you spend most of that time either you're doing me messages or, or phone calls or they are and then at the end you say it was so nice to see you but you hardly ever got to talk to that person okay and and if somebody doesn't do that and isn't interrupted every 3 minutes then everybody thinks you don't have a life you know nobody's contacting you yeah, you must be really flaky. Yeah? It happens in business settings too. Uh, at the place that I worked before coming here, it got to the point where it was actually a rule, do not get your phone out. I mean, business phone, we're not even talking about personal phone, do not get your business phone out during the meeting because mm. we want you to pay attention to what's happening in the meeting and uh, other things that you are doing elsewhere with other projects and yeah. stuff. Yeah, if we're in a meeting, we should pay attention you know, to what's going on. And if we set out to do something, do that and not let ourselves get distracted. Okay. But it's so interesting to to how the mind wants something new all the time, as if that's going to be better than what you're doing already. Yeah. Very weird the way the mind works. Okay. Um yeah, and so think of doing nothing other than it. When you need a break, take a break. Get up, walk around, stretch. You know, they say that that's really good for your health. Yeah, to take a physical break where you, you, you know, stretch your body and move your body somewhat. Yeah, try not to, you know, well, I'll go check my email at that time. <laughs> you know, because then you're off and running and doing that. Okay, so, um, yeah, with your mind applied to that task, set out for the time being to accomplish it. So when you are doing that, work on that. That's the time being. When you finish, you can put it down. You can go work on something else. Yeah, but I'm, it is difficult. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you know you open your email and then, 
you know, you've been gone like a half an hour and then there's 10 emails. Yeah. So you think, oh, I should just keep it on and doing so I don't have so many at the end. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was 43. 44, by acting in this way, all will be done well. And that's true. You know, when we focus on what we're doing, then we do it well. When we are constantly getting up and doing something else and letting ourselves get interrupted, then we get completely confused, you know, especially if you're writing something. Yeah. Or if you're working with numbers. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There's so many ways you just get confused and you either skip a step or you repeat something or, you know, like that. But if we really focus, then all will be done well. But by acting otherwise, neither action will be done. (laughs) Yeah? And there'll be mistakes in both of them. Likewise, there will be no increase in the proximate disturbing conceptions that come from a lack of alertness. So if we can focus on what we're doing, you know, keep the mind there, then it's done well. Yeah, if we can't do that, it's not done well. Yeah, and that just pertains to the task, but in terms of our own mind, when we let ourselves get distracted, then it's so easy, our mind gets into afflictions and thinking in an afflicted way. You know, because you're working on something, an email or a text comes in, you think, I'll just look at it, and then the person is saying something, they you know, or all of a sudden changing the schedule or wanting to do something you don't think is such a good idea. And then you have to respond immediately because if you don't tell them their idea is wrong, the whole world's going to fall apart. And so then you get distracted. You know, writing that email, talking about this other issue, and then you come back to what you were doing, and it's like, where was I? (laughs) Okay. So we want to really watch so that the mind doesn't uh, just start taking afflictions and running with them. And if you're doing a, a project, you know, that takes many days and you need materials or something, or even if it just takes one day, think ahead about what you need, yeah, so that if you have to go to buy something, or get materials even from around the abbey, you go and you do that so that what you have is there when you need it so that right in the middle of doing something, you need to go, oh, God, you know, I need this and that, and it's, you know, I have to get it in town, but nobody's going to town today, so then I have to, can't, you know, I can't, continue with the project that I'm doing because I have to wait until somebody goes to town, you know, but if you think in advance and get the things you need in advance, then that, that doesn't happen. And you can continue with the project, you know, that you're doing, which makes things easier on us, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. Then 45, if I happen to be present while a senseless conversation is taking place, 
or if I happen to see some kind of spectacular show, I should abandon attachment towards it. Okay, so being present when a senseless conversation is taking place. So let's talk about senseless conversations. Sometimes This doesn't mean that every time we talk to somebody, it has to be a deep, meaningful talk about the nature of reality, okay? Um, it, it means that we should monitor what we are saying. There are times to joke around, you know, and we do joke around here, and I think that's good. You know, because if you if you don't have a sense of humor, if you can't play, if you can't joke, then you know your lives just get your mind gets so tight. Okay, but that doesn't mean that once you start that, that it continues for a long time. Okay, you joke and then it's over, and you you know, kind of you continue what you're doing with the other person. Okay, but here. It, and it, the the thing I think that is that we really have to be careful, or at least I know for me, you know, I can joke and play, and then it's finished and get back. But when a conversation starts, and people start griping about somebody else, or start griping about the way something is done, yeah, it's so easy for those conversations to keep going, and that's how in a workplace. You get people dividing into uh, cliques and into factions and turning against other people, okay, um, which is really harmful in a group. So this this kind of senseless conversation, yeah, is often, you know, just gossip. There's times when it is important to exchange information about, what somebody else is thinking or doing, okay? And then there are times when it's just gossip, okay? I remember one time many years ago, Lama Yeshi asked me about somebody else. He said, how is so-and-so? Yeah, and uh, I didn't want to answer because I felt like, oh, that I'm just going to gossip and say all sorts of things because the person was doing some things that weren't so good, or I, or you know, yeah, and I didn't want to say anything, you know, because I thought, oh, that's you know, idle talk. That's you know, I might be saying something bad about somebody, and so I said, Lama, you know, I just I don't want to say. And he said, No, you have, you know, I need to know what's happening with that person so that I can help them. Okay, so in that kind of situation, when somebody's asking you for information about a conversation you had with somebody or something, if that person, you know, asked you to keep confidence, then you don't tell others unless it's something that's really important. I mean, we, there are legal things whereby if somebody tells you that they want to harm somebody else, that we're required to report it to, to law enforcement, okay? Um, so similarly, and if, you know, it's a, somebody, if it's a situation where somebody may really be going 
into a not good place, then you need to say something, whether you're asked about it or not asked about it, because you care about that person and you don't want to see them slide down the slippery slope. Okay. But that is very different than gossiping. Gossiping is, well, we know what's gossiping, you know, like, so-and-so, did you see what so-and-so did? What did you think of that? You know? And it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's idle talk. We don't really care. It's not really important. Yeah. Did you see how much food somebody put on their, their plate that day or in their bowl? Yeah. Well, I wasn't looking because I have a precept not to look in other people's bowl. But their bowl was so full, it was overflowing, I couldn't help but see it. Yeah, what do you think of that? Yeah, that they took so much food. And, you know, I don't know about all this labeling of the food in the kitchen and this and that. And I don't know who's in charge of kitchen these last three months. And why do we have the system where we rotate the people in charge of the kitchen every four months? Why don't we do it every three months or every six months? Why do we do it at all? Why don't we just hire a cook? I mean, it would be so much easier in the monastery if we hired a cook. And then we could all do the regular work we're supposed to be doing. Okay, I see lots of smiles now. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, you're just off. What you're doing is instead of ruminating yourself about these things, you're having a group rumination, okay? Like, what do you think? Why don't we hire a cook? Oh, yeah, I think that's so good. Well, how should we approach that topic so we can get it through at one of these meetings? Well, you know, so-and-so, if you talk to so-and-so, they always say no. If you talk to this one over here, they always want you to like them. So talk to that one. And that one, ask that one to bring it up in the in the group meeting. Yeah, yeah, but don't talk to this one because this one always says no. And if you talk to that one, they ask you 10 questions about it before they give you an answer. I just want somebody on my side. <laughs> okay, so oh, I see lots of smiles now. <laughs> so so then, you know, you, you plan like, okay, how am I going to bring this up and and, you know, how am I going to convince so-and-so? Yeah. yeah. Our, our own politicking, you know? Like, well, there's a rule that says, maho, but, you know, I really want this to happen, so who do I have to talk to about that? Okay, well, Venerable Fauci. <laughs> Actually, she's Venerable Fussy. But actually, she's venerable trying to keep us safe. Yeah. So, but we think she's, she's being fussy today instead of Fauci today. So, so who, who will venerable fussy Fauci listen? <laughs> okay. And then we, we talk about that, you know, and then plan how to, you know, approach her, yeah. And then meanwhile, she's sitting and thinking, well, you know, I'm trying to fo follow CDC recommendations, yeah. 
And they did appoint me as, you know, the person to do this. And I have a title. Yeah. But now they want to make their own rules. They want to just go out doing whatever. They want to go into town to go shopping. Yeah. Like, they're all sitting there thinking, I want to go to Albany Falls and buy nails. I'm tired of just hanging around this abbey. I want to go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I want to go check out. No, I want to take the tractor in for servicing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to drive the tractor down the road. <laughs> yeah, you pretend that you're India, in India driving the tractor down the highway. Yeah, you remember? Was it you who yeah. were in the car? Yes. And we now have six people in the bucket. <laughs> Do we have what? Six people in the bucket. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, and it's like, oh, let's see. No, I'll go to the post office. I, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Can I do the run on, on, on Friday? You know, I got to get out of this place and see something different. Yeah. Can I go to the post office with the, yeah. Yeah. I promise I'll generate Bodhicitta posting all those things to the, to the inmates. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah. So where were we? <laughs> Yes, campaigning for ourselves in senseless conversations. Okay, so if or if we happen to see a spectacular show, spectacular show. What are, what are kind of a spectacular shows? If we get distracted, on you know, sometimes you know we see funny things on the internet and we share those too much. Okay. And then everybody is looking at, at Randy Rainbow or, 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 um, I don't know what else. You don't know who Randy Rainbow, you don't send your, your emails to her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. We, we won't turn you on to Randy Rainbow. Yeah. Um, okay. But, uh, <laughs> you know, or, yeah, we just find too many funny things or too many things we want other people to read. And uh, I know for me, I'm breaking a, a habit of mine. When people send me emails and there's links, I feel obliged to look at that. You know, if somebody cares enough about me that they think I should look at this, I look at it. And I am breaking that habit and I am learning just to delete the email now, you know. And hopefully those people won't ask me the next time they see me, well, what did you think about this, that, or the other thing? Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, you can't finish anything. Okay. Um, so he's saying we should abandon attachment towards it. Um, towards senseless conversation and spectacular shows, definitely ban abandon attachment. Sometimes abandon the situation. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're with other people who are bad-mouthing somebody else. You know, I, I, I th think it's sometimes very helpful in those situations to say, I feel very uncomfortable 
about the way we're talking about so-and-so. Can we change the topic? And so deliberately change the topic, but tell people, you know, I feel uncomfortable about this. Or, you know, if they're really into it, or if you don't feel like you can say that, then, you know, you just excuse yourself from the situation. Because it's really awful uh, hanging around why, why, you know, other people are bad-mouthing somebody. Okay. Um, you know, now, now the whole thing of, of racial slurs comes up. So, you know, when do you call somebody out for, for saying something? And what does call them out mean? Yeah. Does it mean in the middle of the conversation you stop and you say, don't say that word, that's a racial slur? Yeah. Or in the middle of a meeting you do that? Or does it mean you approach the other person afterwards and say something? You know? Uh, or, and how do you say something to somebody? Do you just say, don't you know better? You know? Um, that, that's not gonna work. Okay. And if you have any sense of, of kind of judgment, then people get really turned off by that. Yeah. So it's a delicate thing. You know, we need to say something, but we need to do it in a skillful way where it keeps the door open and we don't get into a cultural war with the person that we're living with or the person uh, that you're working with. Yeah because those kinds of things can easily flare up, you know? And, and uh, it's difficult because words that were okay to say before, now are no longer okay to say, yeah? Somebody the, uh, in a class at some university, somebody, it was a law class, and they were quoting what some justice, somebody here or there had said, the N-word was in it, and they said the word because they were just reading what the previous justice said. Well, a lot of people were very, you know, some people were very offended by that, you know. And so even if you're quoting somebody, you, you shouldn't say that. But they, they were reading the thing. I mean, so how much do you rewrite what somebody else says because what was okay to say before was, is not no longer okay. I'm not saying that it was okay to use racial slurs by before. I'm just saying that nobody would stop and interrupt at that time. But now, you know, you're expected to say something. So it gets very kind of confusing and sometimes very touchy to the extent when you're around certain people, you feel like you can't talk because you might accidentally say something that, you know, you aren't as woke as the other person, yeah? And so then they get very upset with you for not being so woke, you know? And I and you say, but I didn't know, or, you know, oh, that doesn't matter, <laughs> you should have known. Yeah. So I've had that happen to me, and... Uh, you know, but then there are situations where you have to call, you know, you have to say something, but you have to say something in a way, such a way so that the other person doesn't feel attacked, you know. And it's, it's often good to start to say, 
you may not under know this, but th some people are sensitive to this word. Yeah? It, it, it's the same way when people come here and they don't know how, you know, etiquette in a Buddhist monastery. We don't go up to them and say, don't point the soles of your feet at the Buddha statue, you jerk. You say, you may not know this, but, you know, in the hall, we, when we stretch out our legs, we do it to the side of the room. You know, so it's, there's different ways of getting messages across to people. Um, so that they don't feel threatened and they don't feel criticized. So we have to be sensitive to that. Yeah. And sensitive to, to what we say too. And it, it's difficult because if you belong to a persecuted group, the people in that group can tease and joke and say things about the stereotypes that are directed towards them. But other people cannot do that. Okay. So you may, those of you who've watched the Saturday Night Seder, you know, there's one guy who says, oh, the thing I love most about being Jewish is controlling all the banks and wanting to dominate the world. <laughs> you know? And he says it with a straight face. And like everybody who's Jewish like laughs, you know? Because that's the standard stereotype. Yeah. But, you know, when Trump put uh, the Star of David behind Hillary Clinton and talked about her raking in money, that is really offensive. Okay, so to, to, to figure out how to navigate some of these things, uh, can, can be difficult, you know? Especially if you don't know what's sensitive to a certain group, you know? I mean, I grew up on the West Coast, so there's a whole, some whole thing about African Americans and watermelon. I had no idea that you must know about it. You grew up in Georgia. You know, there's something about, I don't, uh, something about, yeah, some stereotype about, do you know what it is? Yeah, you were in. It's just a stereotype that African Americans weren't born all Melon, yeah, because they, they're sitting in, yeah, well, anyway, whatever it is, some stereotype that is denigrating towards African Americans, okay? So if you don't know that, because you grew up in a different part of the country, then, yeah, you can easily stick your foot in, the in your mouth without even realizing it, yeah? And so if you belong to a certain cultural group, you know, you have to also, uh, you know, and some people may disagree, not be so sensitive to every small thing people say and pick out the things where you think you need to say something to somebody. And then other things, just let it go, you know? Um, or, I mean, it depends so much on your relationship to that person. Yeah, if you're very good friends, you could say, you may not know this, you grew up in a different part of the country, but this kind of thing, da-da-da, yeah. Um, 
you could say that to somebody you know very well, but to somebody at the post office, you may not know, say that. But to somebody at the social security office who is not being treated fairly, then you need to say something. Okay. So things uh, are, are different in different situations and how you say it has, you know, is, is, can be very touchy. The whole thing about wearing, wearing masks. You know, who was it? Tucker, Tucker Carlson was telling people now, you know, that when they see people with masks on, that you should go up to them and ask them to take their mask off because you don't feel comfortable with people with masks around. It used to be that everybody was supposed to wear masks, and if you saw somebody not wearing a mask, you would go up to them and say, please put on your mask for safety. But now he's telling people the opposite, you know? So it's like, so how are you going to react to all these things? Yeah, if somebody comes up and tells you to take your mask off, are you going to get mad at them? Are you going to start a whole discussion about why are you watching Fox News? Um, you know, or, or are you going to yell at them? Or are you just going to say, um, I prefer to keep my mask on <laughs> and just let it go? Yeah, so to, to be sensitive to different situations, what your relationship is with somebody. Yeah, how you say things. Tone of voice is really important. Okay. So, and to know that all these things change. You know, what is considered, I mean, language is changing all the time. And what different words mean changes all the time. And to keep up with it all is really difficult. So sometimes people are going to call you out for things that you had no idea about. Yeah. So the whole thing is, yeah, learn when to chill out. Well, we should always chill out. Yeah. Getting offended about things even if somebody means to insult us, there's no reason to get angry about that. When we get angry, we don't communicate well. Okay, so we should always chill out. But then deciding what to say to the other person in response is, is something that we have to see situation to situation. I mean, for example, uh, I told you about the time, um, let me just mark this. Uh, Okay, when I was in an airport, and, uh, you know, I always have the situation because people attend talks that I've given, and then they meet me somewhere, and I don't know who they are, but they know me. And so somebody was coming me up to me in an airport smiling, and I thought, okay, it must be somebody who, you know, I don't know their face, I don't know who they are. And she leans over and she says, it's Jesus. So... It's like, what do I do? It's like, hey, you know, what are you doing trying to convert me in an airport? You know, I have, you know, if I want to believe in Jesus, I'm going to believe in Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus. Why are you trying to bug me about all this? Don't you have any manners? You know, I could reply like that. Yeah. And I just smiled back and went back to what I was doing. 
You know? It's like, do I really need to correct everybody? But when I'm on a long flight and somebody is trying to convert me, which happens fairly regularly, um, then I will respond, you know, and I will discuss with them and I will say, please, I, you know, respect what uh, my beliefs, I'm living an ethical life, da 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 you know, I'm not going to ignore it because they'll just keep talking. <laughs> and I'm not going to turn around and say, shut up, because that's not my way. You know, I don't handle things that way. Um, okay, see, we have to see. But anyway, we have to just, you know, just make it so that we don't get offended. Yeah? I say, you know, that that's what I learned from my seventh grade episode that all of you have heard many times, where somebody made us in, in current events class on Monday morning. I won't say his name because he might be listening. Actually, I would like to meet him again and apologize. But and maybe he'll apologize too. Anyway, you know, where he made some kind of slur. And I ran out of my seventh grade class and spent the whole rest of the day crying in the girls' bathroom because I thought that's what you were supposed to do if people said, you know, racist comments. And I learned from that situation. No, I don't want to spend my life doing that. Okay. Yeah. I'm leaving it to the rest of you to keep the tissue company and <laughs> up and running, at least for crying. Okay. Some of some of you do quite well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Any questions? Comments? Okay. Nothing online? Okay, then we'll dedicate.